Become a renter landlord. Now, this one comes from a list of the show, Gillian, who is currently in Dunedin but is moving up to Christchurch. That's right, Gillian. I've just told the nation your life story. Now, <laughs> she's emailed me and she said, Morning, Ed. Hope you're well. I'm going to be moving to Christchurch at the end of the month. And coincidentally, my tenants are also moving out at the same time because Gillian owns a couple of properties, one of which is in Christchurch. Now, I'm wondering, should I move into that investment property, what is currently an investment property, or should I become a renter landlord? And how do I figure it out? Now, Gillian's given me some calculations about how she thinks you might figure out economically what is better, being a renter landlord or renting out that property. So what we're going to do today is go through the calculations and we're going to give an answer at what point is it economically better to be a renter landlord rather than to live in that property that Gillian owns. So how are we going to break it down today? We're going to go over the economic factors. So at what point is it economically viable to be a renter vester or to actually live in the house yourself and have it as an owner-occupied, Gillian? And then the other qualitative factors, so other things you could consider like do I want to be renting somewhere and maybe get kicked out at some stage? Okay, so let's go through these economics for you, Gillian. The first thing you've got to do is figure out, well, what is the economic benefit per week of renting out that property? So let's say that you can rent your house out for $450, and I have done some modelling for you, Gillian. So let's say you could rent it out for about $450. So where'd you get that number from? She put it in her email. Right. So I just assumed that that was the case. So thank you, Gillian. You gave me the starting point. And you might initially think, well, isn't it just as simple as saying that if I could find somewhere to rent for less than $450, then sweet, I'm making money because I'll just rent it out. Well, not quite, because there are also some other costs to renting out your house. So some of those additional costs that if you rent out your house, you'll pay, whereas you wouldn't if you just lived in it yourself, are things like property management or tenant sourcing. So you might pay a week's worth of rent to pay a property manager to go and find a tenant for you. Obviously, if you live in the house yourself, you're not going to be paying that cost. Same thing with accounting or landlord's insurance and of course the big one tax as well. There are a couple of costs that you're going to have to pay if you rent out this house that you wouldn't if you just lived in it. Now the reason that's important is we're going to take the rent per week, we're going to minus off all of those other costs that only landlords face and that'll give us the figure. What is the economic benefit of renting out this property per week compared to just living in it myself? Now, you might be saying to me, Ed, you've forgotten a whole heap of things. So you might be thinking, well, what about rates and insurance and maintenance? Now, these don't actually come into the cost as an additional set of costs by being a landlord because you have to pay them regardless. Whether or not you live in that property or rent it out, those are costs that you're going to have to incur. But they do come into the tax calculations that you work out because, of course, those are costs which are tax deductible and will reduce the amount of tax that you need to pay. So they do come into it, but just not from a which is better standpoint. And actually, even things like your mortgage in this case, we wouldn't include when thinking about what's going to make you economically better off because either way, you're going to have to pay your mortgage. There could be some considerations around principal and interest versus interest only. We've chosen not to take those into account just in this case because it's going to vary for everybody listening to the show if they're going through a similar thing. 
So Gillian, let's go through the numbers because this is where things are a wee bit different. So first of all, we've got rent coming in, which is about 22.5k per year, and I'm factoring in two weeks worth of vacancy. I think you've got about 3.5k worth of direct costs, your property management, your landlord's insurance, your landlord's insurance, and a couple of other costs there, Gillian. And then $560 worth of tax. Now, what I've done, and this is where you're a bit off there, Gillian, if I can say that in a really nice way, you don't just take what's left and apply a tax rate, like 28% in this case, because Gillian's got it structured in a limited liability company, but you've got to take into account a whole heap of tax deductible costs like Andrew talked about. So your rates and insurance will help to reduce how much tax you have to pay. Currently, if you've got a mortgage here, some of that is going to be deductible. And so again, some of that can help to reduce the amount of tax you pay. Now, all up, I've estimated in this instance, Gillian, the economic benefit of renting out your place is about 18.5k. Now, it is going to depend on the actual costs you face in terms of your direct costs, like whether you have landlord's insurance or not, how many properties you have, and how that would affect the accounting costs that you pay. But I'm estimating something about $355 a week is the economic benefit of renting out that house. Now, remember, that's your rent minus any of these other direct costs and tax, $355. So if you could find a property that you can rent or you could rent with some flatmates and pay less than $355 a week in rent for that place, then it is economically feasible to be a rent fester, a renter landlord, whatever you want to call it, that kind of idea. It's better to rent out that house and go and find somewhere else to live. But there are some other options for Gillian as well that you should consider. So, Gillian, if you can find accommodation for anything less than $355 a week, then you're going to be better off by that amount. So if you can find a room for $200 a week, for example, then you're going to be $155 a week better off if you can do that as a rent vester. If you got $300 for the room, then it's going to be $55 better off. Or the other option is you could live in the home and then you could get a flatmate for $200 a week, in which case you're going to be $45 a week better off because you've got $200 that you're putting in, $200 that your flatmate's going in, and then you're $45 better off than that $355 target that we've now, got. Now, that assumes that Gillian would be paying $200 a week yeah. for a room yeah. somewhere else and wanted to do it. But this gives you a basis of it if you want to get really, let's be honest, very, very nerdy on this and decide that you want to run the numbers to figure out the most economically feasible point. But what's important is that it is not all economics. There are a couple of other things that you need to think about. And let's go back and forth on these, Andrew. Now, the first one I want to talk about is actually your LVR position, Gillian, because what you've got to remember is that if you move into this rental property, then you can suddenly borrow more against it. So if you've got this as an investment property, the maximum you can borrow against it is 60%. If you move in, you can now borrow 80% against it because you've got looser LVR restrictions. Now that might put you in the position where you're able to access equity within this property and then use that as the deposit to go and purchase another investment property. So if you're looking at expanding, and I know you know listening to the show and having met you, Gillian, you probably are, then this might put you in the equity position where you're able to go purchase again. So that's one thing to factor into this. And anybody who's considering these sorts of things should not look at it just from the rental side, but also whether they're able to access more equity by living in the property so they can go purchase more investments. 
So one thing, Gillian, and this was actually something that when I was a rental landlord for so many years, I loved the fact that I would never have to worry about maintenance. So if I had a leaky tap, apart from the odd time that I fixed the S-Bend, which some of you long-term listeners will know that I did that myself and cocked it all up, you just ring up the landlord or the property manager and say, hey, this is happening and someone else comes and deals with it. You just have no maintenance worries whatsoever. And as far as your rental property, again, your property manager is probably dealing with those issues. So not something you even have to consider about. You've got the low maintenance option. It's basically like having a mum you pay for, isn't it? <laughs> because they get to deal with all of the maintenance requests through your property manager. I'll tell there, Linda you to- called her the mum you pay for. There should be property managers for like owner occupiers. So like it's actually a good idea. That, you know, so like I don't I don't want to deal with maintenance this or anything. This was on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Remember was it? Leon had the handyman service where he'd come in and negotiate. He wasn't your mum though. He was negotiating the maintenance on your behalf. Right. And then he, <laughs> Oh, let's not go into it because we'll go down a rabbit hole. No, we should, It was pretty good. (laughs) And then everything leaks and things, and it ruins Susie's shoes. Now, the next one that I've got is... Now, the next one that I've got is being able to invest in a better quality asset that you might not like to live in. So I remember, Andrew, you used to live in a beautiful one-bedroom loft apartment in Christchurch. God, that was a beautiful property. The bachelor pad of Christchurch. But terrible investment. Great place (laughs) to live. Terrible investment. Terrible investment. like a sieve. Well, the other thing as well is it's a one-bedroom place where the bedroom was kind of opened up, if I can yes, say that, because yes. it was up on the second floor. A, a loft, if you will. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> You're so condescending. <laughs> that means you talk down to someone. <laughs> <laughs> but while that was a great place to live, as we said, it wouldn't have been a good investment. Now, being a rental landlord means you can rent in a really cool place that's a bit offbeat, if I can say that, but at the same time have a really good quality investment, which might be a three-bedroom standalone place out in Rangiora, for instance. So if you're wanting to live somewhere like a one-bedroom apartment that might not make the best investment, that might be a great time to be a rental landlord because you can have the good quality asset three-bedroom standalone home, for instance, or two-bedroom townhouse, while still living where you really want to live, Gillian. The next is just not feeling tied down. So when I moved into... I thought you liked that. (laughs) When I moved into my place in town, Gillian, that was the bachelor pad, I liked the fact that I could move to Wellington or Auckland as we expanded the business. I mean, the fact that I had that agility was a great feeling for especially someone that was young growing a business. Now, the last one that I want to just dive into, and Gillian, you're a nerd like me. I can say this because you're a data analyst, and we talked about numbers when we had dinner together at the Christchurch Podcast Dinner, is allocative efficiency. And what I mean by that is, Gillian, if it's just you and perhaps a partner I don't really know, then you might not need to live in a three-bedroom house with two bedrooms empty. And the thing I love about being a rent vester is that if you're just one person, you can rent out a one-bedroom place. So if it's you and your partner, you can rent out a one-bedroom place, whereas a family can then go and rent out the three- or four-bedroom house, even a two-bedroom house. And in that way, the house is actually being, dare I say it, better used because you've got a larger family living in that place as opposed to just one or two people. So it allows the housing stock to be better used, which is kind of a nice benefit. I kind of like the idea of that. I kind of like the idea that you just asked whether or not Gillian was single on the podcast. No, no, no. <laughs> Kelly would not be pleased about that. Text your answer to 5522. <laughs> <laughs> uh. 
Fantastic. Let's wrap it up there, but please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Really does help us get the message out to more people. And Julia, if I don't remember to send you the spreadsheet, please just remind me because it's quite cool. You can plug your own numbers in and then you'll be able to figure out exactly the economic tipping point where it makes more sense Why for you to be a rent investor. Why don't you link it in the show notes in case someone else wants to use it? Producer David, if you remind me, then I will drop that in. And if you're like Gillian and have an idea for what you'd like to hear on the show, then whip out your phone and send us a text. Our number is 5522 or just send us a message on Instagram. We are at opas underscore partners. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Eber Knight. And I'm Andrew Nichols. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more dailies. Strategies, tactics, and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time. Two out of ten. <laughs>